Hey guys, this is Kerwin. And this is Jeffrey. And we are the Donish Brothers, our Donish Twins, because Kenneth's never here. Today we're talking about the risks associated with real estate investing, and specifically, you know, the ones that most passive investors will encounter, but it also, this also applies to any investor in real estate. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey, why is it important to understand the risks when it comes to investing in real estate, just in general? Yeah, I mean, obviously you want to know, like, what you might, what might happen if things go bad. You want to know, always want to know what the worst case situation would look like so that way you can be prepared for it. Not just that, but also, you know, if you know what the risks are, it all starts with education. So if you're able to identify them, you can potentially avoid them as well or mitigate the impact of that risk. Because when you're investing in real estate, you're always going to have risk. But Mm -hmm. with that education, you're able to sort of uh, lessen the the risk of of the risk. (laughs) Education will lead there or lead you to less risk. Exactly. Uh, will increase the chances of it going well. Exactly, exactly. And, and just in general, I mean, real estate is one of those asset classes that has weathered multiple storms, economic storms, wars. I mean, it's really proven to be a resilient asset class. And so we're big advocates. And of course, you know, we're the real estate brothers. We're not the real estate brothers. We didn't coin that. But uh, we are real estate brothers and we invest yeah. in real estate. And so we're big advocates and, and fans of real estate. But of course, there are risks, with, as there are with any investment. Um, so starting out, we're going to talk about the, one of the biggest risks when it comes to investing in real estate, which is the market. Um, the market is one of the location, location, location. It's one of the biggest factors when it comes to investing in real estate. So Jeffrey, uh, what is, what is, what are some of the, off the top of yeah, your head, um, what are some first thing that comes to mind is crime rate. Like mm-hmm. it's a risk if it's in a bad location that is just so happens that there's a lot of crime in the area. How could that be a risk for a multifamily property? Yeah. Well, say that you're an owner. Uh, and you invest in a market that the property is located in, and there's a lot of crime on the property. Say someone gets unfortunately hurt. Maybe there's like a, you know, shots fired or something, and someone <laughs> gets hurt. Something crazy happens, and yeah. that that could go back to the insurance company, and then they'll you know, obviously uh, that'll that'll hurt you in the way where yep. maybe they start penalizing you and charging you more on it on um, the the rates they're giving you or something mm-hmm. like that. So there's nothing none of this is good, and this is also not good if you raise capital because you're going to have to let your investors know and it just becomes really nasty and ugly. So that's that's why crime uh, in certain locations, obviously, uh, you want to make sure that it's low um, and that's all dictated by the market. Yeah, and uh, nearly every real estate market is going to experience some fluctuations um, as it moves along the business cycle yeah. or the economic cycle. So you know, every market is going to experience booms and busts and um, every economy experiences those as well. So it's important to understand. And I think yeah. what we do is, and what we've done in the past is we've looked at how certain markets and properties in certain markets have performed during national rece- recessions, like mm-hmm. for example, 2008, um, just to see you know what happened during that time. It's really interesting. And it's also, you know, history is likely to repeat itself. So yeah, um, another, just, another thing was, um, say there's like a declining population growth. Well, why do we why do we yeah. want an increase in population? That just lets us know that there will be a, a demand most likely yep. for our units. Now that it's declining, meaning that there's less people, but let's say that And people are leaving maybe. Right, right. And then eventually that just that just lets us know that there's a chance that there'll be less people in this market by the time that we take over or two years later, right? Because it's declining, therefore there'll be less people that want to rent. Yep. Um and if that happens, that means that you're not actually going to there's a less likelihood that you're going to be able to get people in your units. Just oh, because or just less, less demand people. means that there's less like uh, competition for those units, so that you can't really demand a premium or as much of a premium if yeah. there were more demand. And in fact, it could be the opposite, and you have to lower prices, which yep, is exactly. obviously not good. Yep, exactly. And so some questions to ask uh, to kind of just start to go about the process of researching the market, making sure it's a strong market is, you, know, you can ask yourself, what are some of the major employers in that market? Um, we live in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina here. Uh, we have Apple coming, I believe. They're yeah, we have great. Apple, Microsoft, 
Um, Amazon, Amazon yeah. warehouses. Amazon. So there's a lot of businesses coming here in real estate. Uh, sorry, Raleigh has been consistently ranked as one of the top real estate markets on a lot and of places to live major. in general, right? Exactly. So things like specifically that, for yeah. the market, you know, you just want to see if, if you're seeing your market or the markets you want to invest in consistently ranked. I mean, that's awesome, but not just that. Um, sometimes when I do not, please let me know, correct me if I'm wrong, but sometimes what we'll look at is if we have a market that's like a sub market around a major market. So it doesn't necessarily have to be listed on like the top 10, but if it's close to a top 10 and it's in driving distance, sometimes we like common sense. If you think about it, people might not want to commute. People might yeah. be willing to commute. Right. So, like in Raleigh where we live, a lot of people can't actually, like we were saying in our other video, it's yeah. just so hard to find a property that's affordable in that market. Like a house, yeah. So, so many sub-markets around Raleigh, like Gardner, Nightdale, et cetera, all these other areas are now experiencing all the same growth that Raleigh was experiencing, yeah. um, which is makes sense, right? People, like once this part of whatever gets overpopulated, then they're just going to go to the next best thing, yeah. which is really good for investors if you can catch that early. Absolutely. And so the unemployment rate is also something important to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. Are people working? Are they not? Um, that's just a sign of productivity in the market, as well as opportunities of jobs and things like that. Economic anchors is something I like to talk about all the time. Um, those are universities, colleges, hospitals, things like that, that people are is it going to be in demand in terms of the jobs? So those jobs are still going to be in place. And they're like, uh, I don't want to say central, but they're very important jobs that aren't going to be as impacted if the economy takes a dip. And it's also important to have job diversity. So you don't want uh, there to be too much of one sector in a, mm -hmm. in a market. Why would that be, Jeff? Like in Detroit a long time ago, or I don't, for me, it was a long time ago, but um, <laughs> in regards to what happened in Detroit with the automobile industry, that was their main dominant, um, I guess, like, mm -hmm. like job sector. leading job provider. So most people, people worked in that there. industry. Yeah. So then when, when that crashed, uh, literally all, everyone there that was working at the automobile industry, in the automobile industry, they didn't have a job after that, mm -hmm. which means that now people can't pay rent. Now people aren't going out and spending money at the grocery stores. So the economy went down in Detroit because of that. Um, and we don't want to see that in any other markets we're in because we don't want any of them to be dependent on any market or I'm sorry, Too any dependent. industry. Yes. Because if that same thing happens, then obviously people won't be able to afford their rent. It's kind of the same reason why you like diversify anything in terms of yeah. like an investment. Like you don't want to be, you want to diversify the, the employment as well, right? Exactly. So you kind of just spread your risks. It mitigates the risk. Um, and also the population growth rate, like Jeffrey touched on earlier, you don't want people to be leaving the market because, and if they are, you want to know why, why are they leaving? And why this would is just you our preference? Like I know people that do invest yeah, for sure. uh, in declining markets, but yes. And this is not financial advice. We're just telling you like what our well, mentors yeah, have told what we us look, and what we've learned from our, our mentors and all the conferences we attend and what we do yes, and what we do. Exactly. That, this is what we're speaking on because we, we aim to invest and to keep our own money as well as our investors money as secure as possible. Of mm -hmm. course, with the returns that, you know, whatever. So uh, we want to make sure that it, it's, it's, you know, taking educated and calculated risks. And yeah. so the way to do that is to understand the full scope of these particular categories. In this case, the market, you want to understand where it's at and what, you know, like the, if there's people leaving or coming, why? Yeah. And so knowing the answers to this idea is just going to help you understand the economic health of it, just to kind of touch on it. So that's why it's really important to know. So, the second risk is the operator and the operator. If you're in a multifamily syndication is the lead sponsor or the asset manager who's the person who's overseeing the management of the property and the execution of the business plan throughout the whole period. But if, if when it comes to a single family property, if you're buying houses, it comes down to you. If you're the one you know, overseeing the property and maybe your property manager and you overseeing your property manager, or if you're managing it yourself, then it still applies to you. And, and just also known as the active, yeah, the investor, investor. In, a, in a multifamily syndication. Yeah, exactly. And so the team in charge, they play, obviously, they play a major role in the success of the property. Mm -hmm. So some factors that go into it is what experience does that person have? 
is this their first property? If, if, if it is, then that's their first rodeo. You know, you want to make sure uh, if you're the investor, then you have to be aware, okay, I might not have the experience needed to make sure this property is a success. And so if you're aware of that, then you can go and find and partner with someone or just pick the brain of someone who does have experience. Yeah. 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 And that's why we, we um, really, really are always so passionate about the team mm-hmm. that you build around you, even if you don't have the experience, you don't necessarily have to, as long as you have someone on your team that does and that certain um, whatever like role they're playing on the deal, um, whether you're maybe you're not really good at asset management or you're just not good at um, whatever, right? Like you don't want to be a property management yep. company. Okay, then hire a property management company. Yep. Um, that's so many different things that you can just fill with having a good team. Yep, exactly. And experienced real estate investors, they know how to oversee a property management. Um, even if you have a single family house, a lot of times real estate investors will outsource that. So that's something that, you know, if you don't have experience overseeing someone else in that role, then it might be hard to catch some red flags or catch if they're you know messing up the numbers or just not performing at the, at the level they should be. It's really hard to understand where they're going wrong if you don't have the right experience in that in that in that arena. Yeah. Um, also, negotiating with lenders, you might just get higher interest rate or worse terms uh, if you're not as experienced with even communicating with lenders or you don't know maybe what the industry standard is or what a good deal versus a bad deal is. So it's really important to have that that knowledge or know someone who does. And also, um, just it, it, I think, and this is something I've heard recently. I don't know if you've heard this, but well, Ken Mackler, I think, I believe, said this. I might be wrong. So, uh, but I believe he says a lot that um, a lot of investors right now they are they are post like 2008 investors, so they never experienced an economic downturn. Jeff and I would technically count as that because we weren't investing in real estate right, in that time. Yeah. So, uh, but one of the cons of that is investors don't have certain among many investors don't have experience uh investing in an economic downturn which of course it's great experience um there's other many investors that say they learn more during an economic downturn than when the economy is doing well because that's when they really it tests them and um the, the, there's another metaphor that i've heard people say is um when then the when the tide comes in you'll see who's swimming naked and that was that essentially means is um right you know anyone can do well when the economy is doing well and the market, the real estate market's going crazy, but if it's going the opposite direction, that's when the real investors and the real, the really uh, good operators that those they really are uh, revealed and rise to the top. Whereas the the ones that aren't as well as aren't as strong, they're they're just exposed. Right, hundred percent. And I mean, it makes sense because it, it all comes down to just having that those fundamentals. Um, and a lot of people can get away with a lot of things when the market's going well. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it's not, that's when you really see, okay, well, are you, is your property actually doing as yeah. well as you, you know, you say it is and stuff like that. So that's why we're so passionate about having that team because yeah. obviously we weren't investing when, um, the first 2008 economic crash happened or not the first one, but the first one in, in our lifetimes. Yeah, in- um, and then eventually we had partners that there were, they were like, yeah. you know, they've been, they've been through multiple different economic downturns. in the third grade. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So literally that's why it's so important to try yourself. And that's yeah. why we do it. 100%. That allows us to have that experience. Yeah. And so to kind of just recap, um, there's many roles that a real estate investor will play, specifically in a multifamily syndication or a multifamily property. The operation of it would be the asset management, the project management, and maybe investor relations. And so there's a lot of different roles that require kind of distinct skill sets. And so if you don't have experience in any of those, it can be really challenging. And so that's why it's important to understand the risks associated with it. So whether you're investing passively with one of those teams or you are on that team, uh, just understanding where you are and then leveraging other people's skill sets. If you, if you don't have those, that will help you mitigate risk when it comes to the operator. And so third, uh, government policy, I think, is a really important uh, factor and risk factor that we wanted to talk about. 
Um, there's a lot of multiple different uh, types of government policies and just the, the, the involvement of the government where, that will impact a real estate investor and uh, is a risk. Uh, what, for example, Section 8 housing. If you, you have a property that has Section 8 housing, then you depend on the uh, that you, you depend on income. So income comes from subsidies from the government. So if policy changes that changes the Section 8 legislation, then that could impact your cash flow. So it's important to understand what the legislation is and just kind of keep a pulse on what's going on with that because that will impact your, your cash flow and potentially potential investor returns if you have investors involved or your own returns if it's your money. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, Jeffrey probably can touch on this, but whether the state is landlord friendly or uh, resident ten- tenant friendly. And why, why yeah. is, break that down, Jeff? So the reason, and typically it's divided between blue states, red states, um, based on the... It's not political, it's just... Not political, but yeah. just kind of how we, we label it. Uh, red states typically are more landlord-friendly, friend, meaning that, say that you were had to... For an example, we can actually use a real one. Uh, we had a resident in one of our rentals here in North Carolina that just hadn't been paying, hadn't been responsive. We were trying to help him. And um, this happened several times that we actually gave him, like... The ability to do mm-hmm. it late. We were really lenient. Yeah, we were very lenient, and eventually it was just like, okay, well, this guy is just not paying. Yeah, we had actually even called call the police yeah. to go check on him because we just weren't hearing, and we were really worried. Yeah, and the, the thing is, like, it's not like our payment to the the the, the, the mortgage company stops, so we stopped to make those out of mm-hmm. our pocket, which means we're just losing money. So eventually, it just we made the decision that we had to go and get him out, um, and it was relatively an easy process because yep. we're in a landlord-friendly state here in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, so. When if you were to do that in California or New York, uh, it would have probably you know been impossible to get him out. Not as impossible, soon as, not impossible. As soon as we did, okay. Because our process did, took yeah. like maybe sixty uh, ninety days, max. For that, I don't, who knows how long? It, I don't yeah. own property in California that's for that reason. But, um, <laughs> it's it's just easier, and the, yeah. go, the government tends to lean towards the landlords in these kind of states. Yeah. Uh, typically, landlord friendly states are in the southeast, which is why we invest there. One hundred percent. So, uh, investing in a landlord versus resident favored state will determine how eviction friendly it is and if you can evict a non-performing tenant and whether you agree with it or not it's just important to understand because that is a risk because Mm -hmm. you can lose money while you're not while you're not receiving income uh, in rental income Um, also rent control that's another factor that i think is really important to understand Um, certain states i think california is one of them where you can only raise raise rents a certain percentage every year and that'll impact how much added value add you can do um, what your NOI can increase by based on what the cap is, whereas in other states there's no cap. Yeah, like in Jacksonville, Florida, for example, last year they experienced around 18% rent growth, which is which is ridiculous. Um, and obviously that wouldn't have been possible in certain states because the government wouldn't have allow, allowed it. In Jacksonville, Florida, on we actually own property in that market. Uh, we experienced 18% rent growth last year, uh, which probably wouldn't have been possible in non-friendly landlord states because they would have put that cap where, where there's those rent caps, um, rent increase caps, yep. but, or rent control, sorry. But in Jacksonville, there's no such thing yet, which is something good for investors as well as people that are looking to improve properties like we are because uh, say the 18% goes up and that's kind of what the market's showing, then okay, then we know if we put this amount of value into this property, and by value we mean money and work, um, eventually we can raise the cap, uh, the, the rates of our rentals to a premium and it so happened that it was 18% last year. Who knows what it'll be this year, but um, it seems like it's going to continue on that trend. Absolutely. And so the next risk factor that I wanted to touch on is the asset class itself. So uh, depending on if you're in multifamily versus offices versus retail, I mean, there's obviously going to be risk factors in each one. If you were investing in 
the office space when COVID, uh, the pandemic hit, then you would have felt that for sure. And multifamily actually performed very strongly. And uh, dur- during the pandemic and throughout the, the 2020, 2021, um, it had really strong growth. Whereas retail, certain retail, I believe shopping centers, they're mm-hmm. actually not, they're becoming less popular depending on who you ask. That's a whole debate. Let us know what you think actually uh, down below. Do you think retail is, is dying off? Uh, is Amazon putting it out of business? Let us know. But some people are saying it is. And so it's just really important to understand the risk associated with that. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think um, looking at what is going on in the market is going to have to make, you're going to have to base your decisions on that uh, and be almost, what you say, would you call it ignorance if you just don't pay attention to it? I think there's a certain bliss when it comes to that. Like you don't know you, what you don't know, you don't pay attention to it. It's no stress if you don't, if you're not aware of it, but then it can come back and bite you if you are invested in an asset class where maybe it is being impacted like offices, you know, they were doing really well, I'm sure. Um, and now during COVID they weren't. And I, I mean, yeah, I mean, multifamily is something that has consistently proven to be strong and that's why we invest there because it has that historical, uh, historical reputation of performing and track well. record, yeah. track record. Um, so the fifth factor is the leverage. So, uh, not necessarily like don't get debt on your property. I think the, whether it's getting it from a lender or, raising it privately either way you're going to likely use debt on your property and mm-hmm. there is good debt versus bad debt which we could talk about in a separate video yeah. if you want but uh for the sake of this conversation i wanted to more focus on being over leveraged and do you understand do you want to go ahead and- yeah but over leverage really um say- know, yeah, no, there's no specific percentage yet but yeah i mean just having too much debt out on one property where um say that you were you were for some reason the economy tanks and uh, you now you're not able to cash flow enough to make the payment. Um, you just never want to be at a point where you owe the bank too much. Exactly. The more leverage you have, the more risk you have. Um, I always, I, I'm sure, uh, I think my, my mentor, one of my mentors always says this, but it's just a lot of people say this is the, your lender is the biggest investor in your deal. Mm-hmm. And so they're not going to want to lose money. You know, they're definitely not. And so the more leverage you have, the more capital you need. Uh, and there are benefits to having, being like, having more capital, more leverage. Uh, the more leverage you have, the more you can speed up the project and generate returns for yourself and your investors. So we can kind of speed up, you know, the more money yeah, you have the, to play with, the faster you can complete the renovations. Right, like the less capital you, the more capital the bank or the lender gives you, the less you need to put it in yourself, meaning uh, you're buying an asset with less money. Exactly. Much, and less of your own but, money. But being over leveraged is dangerous uh, because if you, if your returns, generated by the property through rental income and just increasing NOI. If that isn't enough to cover interest payments, then you can find yourself in a really tough position. And there isn't, uh, I want to clarify that there is not a certain percentage of you know, leverage versus equity that would be essentially considered safe because it really depends on the investor. Mm-hmm. Some investors, and that we, some of our uh, mentors and thought leaders that we follow will do 50%. And others will do like others 80%. will do seventy percent. Others eighty. It really depends on your comfort level in terms of the risk, your experience, yep. understanding of what you're doing, the market, cetera, yeah. the market, and how secure you you think the market is, and, and, and how it'll perform if something happens to the economy. Yeah, your experience in that specific market. Yeah, it just it's just really important to understand. The, like, it's one of the factors that go into adding or decreasing the risk involved in an investment. Yeah. And so also uh, another risk factor is the property itself. Um, the condition of the property specifically is really important. You know, is the property already been renovated? And if it has, then it likely isn't going to be as risky as a property that needs extensive, a uh, full you know, facelift. <laughs> yeah, also, the, the year the property was built, mm-hmm. and it, obviously the condition that it is in now, but um, newer builds obviously will 
have less like random things come up when you're doing due diligence or maybe a few months or years into the ownership, um, there's going to be less things coming up on a newer property than there could be on an older property just for the fear, mere fact that it's obviously older, meaning that it's going to be more, have more wear and tear. Um, maybe something you didn't catch in the due diligence comes up and it's a pretty big expense. So that's why there's more risk taking the over um, an older asset yeah. and or a, a property that is in worse condition than when you're taking over a newer asset that's in better condition. Yeah, and I want to emphasize the importance of the due diligence period because that can help you mitigate the risk. Yeah. Um, like Jeffrey said, one of the biggest risk factors is an unexpected expense that you didn't catch during due diligence or just in general. Uh, so that's why it's really important to make sure you do a thorough due diligence. You don't rush through that process. Now, lastly, the investment strategy itself, which kind of ties into the property, is also a big risk factor. Uh, there's different investment strategies that you know investors, some investors will do value add, which is what we do. We go in and add value to a property by improving the condition of the property or decreasing the cost of running it, which increases or, yeah. its NOI. Improving amenities, exactly. improving the just overall lifestyle or mm -hmm. community, et cetera. Just so improving everything things. about the property is, yeah. So that that will allow you to justify that'll justify increased rents, which yeah. will increase the overall value. Um, that's value add turnkey. This is pretty much when you buy a property in the condition it's in, and it's in good condition, needing minimal repairs or renovations or yeah. updates. And that way, it's, it's low risk because there's not much capital needed to make it rent ready. It's pretty much rent ready. Or you have distressed properties where you go in and you're planning on doing a whole facelift. It needs extensive repairs, which requires a lot of capital up front in order to get it rent ready. And so those different investment strategies will require different levels of capital, meaning they require different levels of risk and more risk, more reward. So a lot of times distressed properties, they actually end up making a bigger profit, but it's yeah. also a bigger risk. Right. So, I mean, like you just said, uh, it can be it can either mean more upside at the same time, there's a more likelihood that it'll actually go bad. That's kind both. of the, yeah. Now, the reason for the distressed property, Jeff, add anything to this if you want, but uh, right now, so when you buy the property as is, you're mm -hmm. probably buying it below market value. Uh, you likely should be buying below market value if it's distressed. And it's also, right now, it's not generating that much income. So there's a lot of room for you to increase the value of it by improving its condition. So once you increase, increase the condition and improve it, you are able to demand much more of a greater uh, increase mm -hmm. in rents, correct? Yeah, that is exactly how you're able to have that additional upside yep. compared to uh, a property that needs less work. Because yep. on the property that needs less work, they're probably already getting a sufficient amount of rent, um, and there's only so much more value you can mm -hmm. add to it to increase rent. Like meat Versus, on the bone. Yeah, exactly. Or like I don't know, cucumber skin. I don't know if you're vegetarian. What? <laughs> um, yeah, whatever. So to kind of summarize, those are the, those are the risks associated with investing in real estate, at least the ones we thought of. But if you guys can think of any other ones that we didn't talk about, Mention them down below, drop them. We love to learn and we want you guys to learn. So if you guys have any knowledge, feel free to share it. If you have any questions or yeah. if you agree or disagree with anything we said, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. And if there's anything we can do for you ever, feel free to reach out to us at Donis Brothers on all platforms. Yep. You can uh, find us on our website, www.donisinvestmentgroup.com. Uh, you can check out our real estate monopoly podcast. That's the name of it, yep. real estate monopoly. Uh, check me out on all, all social media platforms at Jeffrey Donis. You can check me out at Donis Kerwin on Instagram. And if you want to check out our free playbook that dives into the common mistakes investors make, that's www.donisinvestmentgroup.com backslash playbook. Let's get out there and take action. Yeah, thank you, everyone. Have a good one.